first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in today. I am Trace, and this episode is about puberty. Puberty is something we all go through, and we wanted to figure out how humans exactly grow and why we aren't born ready to go in, you know, a puberty sense. What animals go through puberty, what things affect the onset of puberty, what is puberty exactly, and can we reverse it? Stick around, because for the next 30 minutes, we're going to take a look at puberty. We're going to break it down based on chemistry and biology and evolution and psychology. You name it. Let's kick into it. First, let's talk about the evolution of puberty. Aging is a part of life. Everything ages. Not everything dies because of age. That's a whole other story. But everything does age. We've talked about it and tried to figure out how to reverse it and tried to understand why it happens pretty much as long as there's been humans. And we've learned a lot about aging over the years. And aging is basically changes that your body goes through as it gets older, as it's been around on this planet for long periods of time. Some of the biggest changes... However, the most rapid changes come during puberty. But why does puberty happen at the time it does? Why aren't you just popped out of your mom ready to start, you know, making your own babies? The length of the life of an organism is a term we've all heard, you know, lifespan. The human lifespan has been increasing exponentially, more or less. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, life expectancy for a man in the United States in 1907 was only about 45 and a half years. By 1957, it had gone up to 66 and a half, thereabouts. And in 2007, it's gone up to 75 and a half. Studies have shown, though, that we aren't actually living that much longer. It's just that infant mortality rates have plummeted, and that's a large factor in these statistics. So the numbers were skewed before, and now that our babies aren't dying, we are living longer. We often confuse maximum human lifespan with life expectancy, and those are not the same thing. Two people born at the same time are going to have a different experience, right? One could pass away as an infant. The other could live to be 70. So the life expectancy would only be 35 if you only had that data set. But that doesn't mean the majority of people living in that area are only going to live to 35. Infant mortality skews this data. So how long are humans supposed to live? What's the maximum human lifespan, the average human lifespan? Well, from an evolutionary point of view, only long enough for us to pop out another baby. That's really all that evolution cares about, right? So if that's the case, why is it that our reproductive systems don't develop sooner? Why can't we pop out kids sooner? A lot of animals and a lot of plants and a lot of bacteria and things, you know, they can reproduce right away. They don't need to wait. That's what we really want to answer in this episode. And that comes down to our cells. During the cellular reproductive process called mitosis, chromosomes with genetic material are reproduced in the nucleus. Once the chromosome is doubled... Those are sent to two daughter cells. You know, you get one cell and then you get two. The dividing cell then gets a complete chromosome before it separates. Preceding this process, the mother cell usually doubles in size and then splits. It's a cycle, mitosis. So that's the process. It's basic biology, mitosis. But we only grow or gestate for a certain amount of time, and we're really needy when we're born, right? Babies don't really do that much on their own. And there are a few theories to why this is. Here are two of them. 
One long-held theory was the obstetrical dilemma. Basically, our brains don't fully develop inside of the mother's body because we have narrow pelvises, and the birth canal goes right through the pelvis. So if we had a fully developed brain, it wouldn't make it out the birthing canal. It would get stuck in there, and that would kill the infant and the mom. Not exactly an evolutionary advantage. So that's one theory. We have to develop more later. More research was done by an anthropologist at the University of Rhode Island named Holly Dunsworth. We're going to call this the metabolic theory because, you know, it doesn't really have a name that we could find. And she says, quote, There is not a unique pelvic constraint on gestation length and baby size, but there is a certain capacity that a mother has metabolically, and once that capacity is reached, the baby is born. Basically, she found that when you account for body size, it's more about the mother's metabolism and how much she can give to the infant. More or less, a woman can't sustain a pregnancy for more than about nine and a half months. And that's because the max metabolic rate that humans can sustain is between two and two and a half times on average. So after a little while, the mom has to have the baby. It's going to become more dangerous for her. So with that in mind, if we're developing outside of the body afterward, then it would make sense that at some point in that development, we would need to kick into the puberty system, right? We need to learn how to or start developing how to become a sexual being as opposed to just a developing being. By the way, human gestation isn't that much shorter than our closest relatives. Oranitans, it's a little shorter. Uh, chimps and gorillas, ours is a little longer. But most animals are fully mature, at least in size, not too long after embryonic development. We take a lot longer. At birth, we have developed our sex organs, but they're not functioning yet. They haven't been switched on. Our sex organs grow all the way until puberty. They are still in development. But humans aren't the only animals that go through puberty. In fact, according to a wildlife information specialist at Michigan State University named Jim Harding, all animals go through puberty. I mean, not the same way that we do. You know, they don't get angry and throw things and yell at their parents and rebel and stuff. But they do transition to sexual maturity over time. He said, quote, if you look at it that way, as in they're transitioning to sexual maturity, you could say that all animals go through a kind of puberty too. Monkeys and chimpanzees and gorillas all have similar biological changes to humans, and the females have monthly menstrual cycles. The males become larger and more muscular and more in charger. And other primates' butts change to bright red to show fertility. Kind of glad that we don't do that. That'd be kind of weird. Uh, turtles don't become sexually mature until they reach a certain size. Some species of turtles look exactly like female turtles until they reach that size, and then they get thicker tails and their shells change color. It's super crazy. And the clearest sign of reaching sexual maturity for a lot of animals is a rise in aggression, which we go through as well, as I was just joking about. You know, you fight with your parents, and you fight with your friends, and you fight with everybody. Everybody's fighting all the time. I read Harry Potter book five. So did you. He got really angry. And it was just not my favorite. Anyway, no surprise there. So once puberty starts, man, oh man, do things change. It's a wonderful stage of life, this puberty thing, right? Several factors come into play when we're talking about puberty and when it takes place. There's the genetics of it. There's environmental factors. For most people, it begins between the ages of 11 and 16. But there is a trend right now of it happening much earlier. There are usually telltale signs of when it started. Now, I don't know if your parents or your grandparents, or your teachers, or somebody has had a conversation about puberty with you. But for me, it was, you get hair in funny places and start liking girls. That was what they told me in my Midwest small town. But hair in funny places is actually not the beginning of puberty. That comes out later. It all starts up in the brain. 
before pubic hair has even started. We're going to go into more depth on the chemistry of it in a minute, but the first signs of puberty, medically speaking, for girls are breast development, breast tissue development, and for boys are larger testicles and a scrotum that begins to thin and redden. Now, if you're feeling awkward about all this stuff, I'm sorry, but we have a, you know, medical show here, a little sciencey things. So after that, all hell breaks loose. For females, typically they start at first, they'll get pubic hair, they have hair on their arms and legs, the breasts start to grow, nipples start to enlarge, they start their period, it usually happens a little later than breast development. Pubic hair becomes coarser and curlier. Uh, The adrenal glands make male sex hormones inside of the body. Yes, in women, they also have testosterone. The ovaries begin to produce estrogen. The larynx has structural changes that changes the voice. The armpit hair starts to show up, hair on the upper lip. They start to sweat more. You get acne, whiteheads, blackheads, pus-filled spots called pustules. Woo! Plus, you grow taller, you gain weight, you get more curvy. All sorts of stuff. For men, for males, Very similar changes in some ways. You get hairier, sweatier. You even get breast swelling temporarily. Acne, of course, pustules, gross, uh, growth spurts. But they also experience wet dreams as the sex organs start kind of working it out. Uh, The enlargement of the larynx changes the voice. Vocal cords lengthen. The voice breaks and then gets permanently deeper. Uh, You kind of fly back and forth over that. Uh, throughout your life. Uh, Testicles drop and the penis actually gets a little larger along with the seminal vesicles, the prostate, and the bulbal urethral glands. After the initial ejaculation, guys are pretty much fertile. That's that. This process is pretty important because the whole point is, again, turning an undeveloped, sexually anyway, human into a developed sexual human. You're getting ready to breed. We're going to come back to that, but that's pretty much what puberty is for. The point is, Before puberty, sex doesn't do anything, even if you could have it. After puberty, sex causes pregnancy so that you can propagate the species. How long this lovely process will take, of course, varies. In females, from the first indication of puberty, that breast tissue development, to complete maturity can take anywhere from 18 months to 6 years. In males, it's very similar, sometime between 18 months to 6 years, but the male genitalia has been known to take between 2 and 5 years to fully develop. So if you are a male out there and you are currently going through puberty, don't worry, still going, still changes. But as I said before, puberty actually doesn't start out here with our visible distinctions. It starts in the brain. The trigger for puberty to begin in both boys and girls is the production of a hormone, gonadotrophin-releasing hormone, GnRH. It comes out of the hypothalamus, and that little guy sends the pituitary gland into overdrive. Pituitary! Pituitary gland is like the star of puberty. If, like, puberty were a concert, pituitary gland is Justin Bieber. People can't get enough of puberty gland. That little gland is releasing hormones all over the place. we got the follicle-stimulating hormone. Uh, I think you can probably guess what that does. The luteinizing hormone. Then those hormones head to the testicles and the ovaries, and they essentially start setting things up, getting things ready. Sexual maturity has begun. I mean, not exactly. Again, 18 months to six years later, it's going to be done, but it's a long process. You thought, like, building tunnels in your city was a long time. This is a big deal. They do it all the time, every day, people going through puberty. Scientists don't really know why or what triggers the hypothalamus to suddenly start releasing this GnRH, which is actually kind of crazy. The maturing ovaries and testes will then also secrete gonadal steroids and estrogen and testosterone. There must be some kind of countdown that trips is what people figure. 
once you reach a certain age. A study in the Postgraduate Medical Journal from 1975 found that with age, the gonadostat becomes progressively less sensitive to the suppressive effects of sex steroids. So let me translate for you. Essentially, they thought that there was some hormone that was restricting or holding back the pituitary gland. You know, this hormone was like the opening act in the concert of puberty that we were just talking about. It was keeping the Biebs off stage. But at some point, Biebs got to get out. He's got to get on that stage. The crowd is sick of the opening act. And that's how they think. You may have desensitized over time to that blocking chemical that allows your body to start becoming mature. There's also another theory that the hypothalamus, the brain itself, parts of the brain, weren't mature enough yet. And once they get to a certain maturity level, they'll start releasing hormones that kick off the process. So maybe there's a tipping point of gonadal steroid levels. There are all these different guesses, but it's not like you can stick something into the brain and see what's going on with the chemicals in a prepubescent and postpubescent kid, right? Not really ethical. So this is our best guess. In the end, all of these hormones start turning the keys all over our bodies and starting construction projects and doing all sorts of other stuff, which is why these changes don't just affect us physically, they also affect our behavior. It's hypothesized that these gonadal steroids activate dormant neural circuits that cause us to act more like an adult in a few different ways, both socially and reproductively. Animal studies show that sex steroid hormones have three effects on behavior. First, we start thinking about things from a reproductive standpoint a lot more. You know, you start noticing the member of the sex that you're attracted to. Uh, And this occurs mainly in the hypothalamus. Second, our sensory and association regions start to get reorganized. Literally, the brain starts to change its structure. Things like the visual cortex and the amygdala, the hippocampus, they start doing different things. And, And so we start seeing and smelling people as potential sexual partners in a different way than we did before. And third, the reward areas of the brain get rewired. This happens mostly in the nucleus accumbens and the dopaminergic pathways to the prefrontal cortex. Basically, areas of the brain that make you want to get down with the hotties, whoever those hotties happen to be. Brain chemistry is pretty crazy, actually, if you think about it. But again, the results of this are mostly from animal studies. A lot of it was done post-mortem in dissections after the fact they started taking these brains apart and saying, ooh, this brain looks different than that brain. What's different? Oh, there was these chemicals there, and there were these chemicals there, and this starts to make these changes. So more research is obviously needed, and maybe someday we'll be able to, you know, put something in your body that can tell us what's going on. But as of now, again, a lot of this is guesswork. But it makes sense that we would first start liking people from a reproductive standpoint. Second, start associating those people and smells and sights with certain things and then get rewards when we are successful in sexual, at least interest, not so much reproductive stuff early on because some of us are really awkward for most of our lives. Anyway, moving on. So we can and have studied this development and there's been some really interesting studies in gray matter in the brains of adolescents. Several aspects of cortical gray matter change during development. Things like density, thickness, and volume. Gray matter actually develops in this interesting inverted U shape, and it reaches its peak in adolescence. Some believe that there's a definite connection to puberty hormones and this gray matter development. And what's even crazier is that MRI scans during adolescence show that the amygdala, which is like an emotional center of our brain, the volume grew for males, but it didn't grow for females. That's super interesting, right? The hippocampus also increased in volume for females, but not males. 
the hippocampus is like a memory and association center. It's really interesting. According to an assistant professor at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health named Sarah Johnson, because of the increase in the brain matter, teens have the processing power and decision-making skills of an adult given enough time to process the situation and information. So yes, teenagers are essentially young adults, but it takes them longer to get to the same conclusion that an adult who is developed would have gotten to. Usually, though, teens are overly influenced by their emotions because though their processing power is getting stronger, their emotional power is also getting stronger. And that brings us to the limbic system, the amygdala, which I just mentioned, directly linked to a lot of things, rage, fear, aggression, excitement, sexual attraction. And it makes sense that during this part of our lives, in puberty and adolescence and such, teens experience all of those things, probably in about five minutes. <laughs> but when does puberty really end, right? I know, I said 18 months to six years, but according to the National Health Service in the UK, most boys will have reached a full adult age by the age of 18. Girls, also, about the age of 18. So maybe there's something to that. Once you're 18, you're an adult. Although, other studies have shown that the brain doesn't fully develop until you're in your 20s. So it really depends. Are you going, you're physically an adult or mentally an adult? So let me put the kibosh on reversing puberty kind of out of the gate. Yes, it can happen. However, in a healthy person, in your brain, puberty essentially lasts forever. Once your glands start making these hormones and squirting them all over your body, it doesn't stop. They continue doing that. Yes, the levels will change. Yes, certain things about your body will change. But once you've gone through puberty, it just keeps making those hormones. You know, some things, though, never go away for some people. Acne never goes away for some people. The hormones don't go away for a lot of people. And the brain, it just keeps telling you you're a sexually mature adult. Once that happens, that Bieber concert just goes for the rest of your life, man. There is such thing, though, as puberty being reversed. It can happen to you, but it's not really naturally. For example, a snake bite can cause puberty to reverse itself. It's crazy. A Russell Viper, a.k.a. Russell's Pit Viper, is venomous. Sidebar, it's not poisonous, it's venomous. Venomous means they're attacking you and injecting you with venom. Poisonous is like, I ate a poisonous apple because I'm Snow White in this scenario. You ingest poison, venom is injected into you. And sidebar. So anyway... Russell's pit vipers. They're from Southeast Asia. They normally eat rodents. Uh, and if it bites a human, the venom will get to your kidneys and destroy them, often causing kidney failure. And that's what would kill you. But if you survive all of the hemorrhaging and the kidney damage, you can reverse your puberty. It's weird. The Lancet published a story where 29% of patients who survived the Russell's pit viper venom had signs of something called hypopituitarism. Remember, old friend, pituitary gland? A guy, rock star, the Biebs. If it's damaged, it's going to stop making those hormones. And if it stops making those hormones, then you stop looking like you pubertied. Hypopituitarism is, quote, diminished hormone secretion by the pituitary gland causing dwarfism in children and premature aging in adults. People who experience hypopituitarism lose fertility, they lose sex drive, they lose body hair, they lose pubic hair, men lose facial hair and muscle mass, and women lose curves and they lose weight in general. It kind of made me think when I was reading about this that puberty is sort of a mask that we all wear, right? Once you go through development, your body makes these changes, but they can be undone. You can be stripped of your puberty, sort of. There's also 
a syndrome called Sheehan's syndrome, which is also based on damage to the pituitary gland. It causes thyroid problems, adrenal problems, breast milk production problems, and menstrual function dysfunctions. The Mayo Clinic says that people who have Sheehan's syndrome will have difficulty breastfeeding or will be unable to breastfeed. They'll have no menstrual periods or infrequent menstruation. They'll lose their pubic and underarm hair. They could have low blood pressure, fatigue, irregular heartbeat. They'll have loss of interest in sexual activity, slowed mental function, weight gain, and difficulty staying warm as a result of an underactive thyroid. The difference between Sheehan syndrome and being bitten by a Russell's pit viper is that Sheehan syndrome happens usually because of oxygen deprivation or severe blood loss during childbirth. The pituitary gets damaged somehow, and it can also happen from low blood pressure and any number of different things, usually, again, though, during childbirth. And it's more common in developing nations. So it's still out there, and it still can happen, and it's not so much reversing puberty as keeping it from happening in children. However, some of the studies I read said that once you were bit by a pit viper, you can develop Sheehan syndrome. Also, if your pituitary is somehow damaged as an adult and stops making these hormones that are keeping you puberted, <laughs> you would end up getting Sheehan syndrome. Super interesting, right? The thing is, we could cure it. Because remember, these are just hormones. They're just hormones, and we know what they are, and we know what they do, and we know where they come from. So if the pituitary gland is damaged, hormone replacement therapy can rescue you and literally replace the missing hormones. For the rest of your life, you'd have to be taking those or you would again revert back to a prepubescent state, but it's possible. And it sort of gives you a whole new perspective on this very talked about group of humanity right now, transgender people, right? Because essentially what they're doing is hormone replacement therapy in order to be the gender that they identify with. And doctors are just providing androgens for those transitioning to male and estrogens for those transitioning to female. If you have Sheehan syndrome, you're doing the same thing. You're giving people androgens or estrogens and other hormones so that you have a sex drive, so that you grow hair in funny places and start liking girls or boys or whatever. <laughs> Super interesting. Another way that puberty gets messed with is that it's starting way earlier. We briefly touched on this uh, earlier on, but breast development a generation ago started at around 11 years old with girls. Now it's coming in around seven years old. And if it comes in really early, it's called precocious puberty. And that can happen as early as the age of three, though that's very, very rare. Different racial groups, different ethnic groups, different socioeconomic groups all have different effects on this. It's a very complicated topic, but precocious puberty is becoming more common in some groups. And many think that a factor for puberty starting early is obesity. This could be because obesity has more than doubled in children since the 1980s and could cause puberty to start early because fat cells manufacture a hormone that you've heard about already called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, or GnRH. Fat cells make it. The hormone is usually made by the hypothalamus to induce puberty, but now it's being made by something else in the body, potentially causing puberty to start sooner. But there may be other factors as well. Obviously, more research is needed, and they're doing that research now. The thing that I really wanted to know, though, kind of goes all the way back to the beginning, and that is why does brain development take so long? Why does it take so long to get in there and start making hormones, right? So even though I just said puberty is like a mask that you wear, that's more the physical aspects of puberty. Remember, we've already talked about how the physicality is not the same as what's going on in the brain. Hormones start to flood the brain during puberty, and even if you take those away, the brain is changed 
forever by those. Even though the body can be reversed, the brain is set. In a 2006 study, they used fMRI scans, which are functional MRIs. They follow blood around the brain. And they scanned 9-year-olds and 11-year-olds and compared their brains to see what puberty was changing, what structures behaved differently or needed more or less blood is really what happened. And according to them, at 9 years old, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex had more activity. There was proliferation of synapses at the onset of puberty, which means more and more synapses were being made by the brain, connections between brain cells. Elimination and reorganization of synaptic connections after puberty resulted in a gradual decrease in synaptic density in the frontal lobes during adolescence. Or to translate, as the synapses connected at the beginning, some of those were trimmed away. And that synaptic pruning, as it's called, was to make sure that the brain was working efficiently. So when puberty starts, your brain makes all sorts of connections all over the place, and then it starts to trim back the ones that you're not using. The gray matter that we were talking about earlier on reflects that synaptic reorganization, they think. There's also a steady increase in white matter in certain brain regions during adolescence. Gray matter, by the way, is like thinky matter. White matter is like speedy matter makes your brain faster. So a steady increase in white matter in certain brain regions during adolescence was noted, which means your brain is working faster. That comes back to you having more executive function and starting to process things like an adult. Executive function has shown to plateau in performance between late childhood and early adolescence. So at some point, you reach your potential and you are now at your level of executive function for adulthood. Super interesting stuff, but all of that is permanent. You know, there is some things that change throughout your life in your brain, but Once the hormones have kicked that into gear, it's not going to take that stuff away. Changing brain synapses is very difficult. It takes lots of time and practice. You know, our brains are very plastic, but it's not just going to suddenly wipe clean a bunch of synapses. On top of that, things like bone density and thickening, the lower voice that you get by the lengthening and changing of your vocal cords, breast growth, those things are not going to go away if you take hormones away. You can't ungrow broad shoulders or a growth spurt. You can't ungrow breasts. It's not going to happen. Puberty is a natural part of growing older, and it's really the point where the human body says, what up? Let's mate. That's what it's for. That's the point biologically. Societally and culturally and as a species, that's not always the best plan. Once it starts, you know, at age 6 or 11 or 9 or 15, whenever it does finally start, that doesn't necessarily mean now is the time to mate societally and culturally, right? It all depends. But knowing how this sticky machine all works, super interesting, pretty damn cool. Man, I am weirded out by my own body now. This is so strange. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you learned a lot about how you work You guys are the best. We hope you loved it. If you did, please leave us a rating. Share us with your friends. This episode was written by Blair Battenberg, Donna Mae Ferranda, and Trace Dominguez. It was edited by Braith Miller and Blair Battenberg. It was shot by Ciara Williams. And special thanks to our intern, Denisha Calderon. And I'll see you next time.